Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is 8 to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen, and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do want to let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes, and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. Yo, it's the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This is me, your host, Andy J. Miller. I'm a graphic illustrator, and I make pictures for a living. Okay, you can listen to this podcast at illustrationage.com slash Talk. Let's get started. Today, we're going to talk about something that is on the minds of most commercial artists every day of the week. Money. We're going to talk about money. That's the big issue. It's not always comfortable, but it's something that's one of the most important parts of your business. It's 50% of your business. Now, me personally... I don't really necessarily get super crazy, you know, passionate about art on its own. And same goes for business. I'm not crazy businessman, okay? But when they get together and they make the baby that is art business or commercial art, that Venn diagram, that middle section, that's the part that I love. I love the mixture of these two things. And if you're like me, then a career in art, a commercial art career might be for you. And when I say commercial art, I just mean all the ways that you can have a career that are real career options as an artist, being making creative work. If that's for you, you might be listening to the right podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the business side, the money side, a very, very important side. I know it's easy for us creative people to just want to think about the creative stuff all the time, but without the money, you don't have the time to make the art. You don't have the options to choose what you do with your time. And so money is incredibly important, as you probably already know. Now, I'm not going to tell you how much money I made last year, mainly because I think There's just too much awkward weirdness that goes with that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say, I made this much money. Now, but at the same time, I want you to know that I've made pretty good strides in this area. Uh, I feel like, just to give you an idea, as a 28-year-old, that I probably made, last year my salary was probably comparable to other successful college graduates that are 28 years old in other industries like business. So I feel like on the career pipeline, I'm doing pretty good for a 28-year-old. You know, I'm making more money on art today than I really ever thought was possible. And just to knock it back a peg, I'm not making crazy money. Not crazy money, 
but good money for a 28-year-old college graduate. Uh, I just happened to make my money making art. And, you know, I support, I'm the main breadwinner in my family. I, ra- I, I support my wife and three kids. My wife has a successful Etsy business, but she only opens it when she has time because she wants to focus on raising the kids. Um, that's just how she wants to spend her life. So that gives you a little bit of a picture. Um, now, early on, the first couple years, you know, I would say for the past three and a half years, I've had a pretty good um, financial situation and it's grown each year uh, in a kind of healthy, steady way. And, but when I first graduated, the first couple years out, uh, I've been graduated for about seven years. The first couple years, were pretty tough. They were pretty hard to figure out how to make this thing work. And so what I wanted to do today was just share uh, seven things, seven kind of tips and tricks, things that helped me early on to get stable or just basically help round out the financial side of my business. And they're all things that were pretty big paradigm shifts for me. Uh, and so I was hoping that they'll help you. So we got our first Factor Meals, and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how Factor Meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low-calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Okay, let's get started. Number one, drum roll please. This is the big one. This is, number one is cash flow. Okay, now, here's the weird thing about words. You know, I was listening to a radio lab and they were all about words. I think the title of it's words if you want to go check it out. They talked about how when you start to learn how to speak and then you start to learn how to read and write, that different parts of your brain actually open up. Like your your brain actually expands in its ability to understand the world when it understands words. And I feel like so often I will have a mental block. There will be confusion in my mind and I will be searching. And recently – that happened to me again. As a side note, I knew that I was getting really passionate about how to be successful as an artist, how to how to get new clients and how to promote yourself and all that stuff. And I didn't have a word that really was explaining what that was, what that feeling was, what that process was. And then I stumbled upon this word. I knew the word already, but the, the word was strategy. And I realized that that word, when I connected it to all these ideas, that's exactly what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about the strategy behind being a successful commercial artist. When I figured out that word, so many other things became clear. And for me, cash flow 
was like that. When I heard that word for the first time or when I connected it to my business, I realized it was it solved an issue in my head because here was the issue. When I looked over how much mo- money I made in a year and I compared that to my bills, this was in the first couple years I was graduated, there didn't seem to be any problems. Yet there would be times when we were really struggling and we didn't know what to do. And and I realized that it wasn't a income problem. It wasn't that I wasn't making enough money. It was more about managing money and it was more about cash flow. Now, you've heard people say that freelance can be feast or famine. And yeah, I think that there's a lot of truth to that and I understand that. But I kind of relate this idea of cash flow and feast or famine to dieting, okay? Now, I know something about dieting. My whole family loves food. We're always trying to lose weight and, you know, be more healthy, but we we love food. And, uh, you know, me and my brothers, I feel like uh, we've all done the kind of dieting where you save up calories so that you can go wild at, you know, at the end of the day, or you save them up all week so that your weekends, you can go wild with your calories, which is terrible. It's terrible for your body. It's not the way that it should work. And I feel like this is so much like the freelance life. That's, that's kind of obvious where you, you do these projects, you might work for two weeks and then you get paid 60 days later and you get a big chunk of change. And if it's, you know, 5,000, $10,000, you feel like, whoa, I, that's amazing. Like when you get a check for $10,000, you're feeling pretty good. The truth is though, is that $10,000 doesn't go as far as you think it would. And if you haven't been getting paid for quite some time, $10,000 actually isn't that much. But I think when it comes in that big chunk, it's like that. It's like saving all of your calories for the end of the week and then going crazy. But the truth is it's not healthy. It's not how it doesn't, it makes it incredibly hard to budget uh, your time and your money. And I think that if you're a creative person, there's a chance that you're not amazing at budgets and managing money. That usually is a different part of the personality spectrum. And that might be a challenge for you. And this, if you make money in this feast or famine way, that budgeting issue is actually pretty difficult for the best of the best of money managers. And so it's something that you need to think about. And so for me, I started to, when I first started uh, about a year and a half, two years, I started thinking about this issue of cash flow. And I think of it like this, instead of waiting till you're so hungry that you'll do anything for money and you get out of control, you know, you, you before it gets out of control, Instead of saving up your calories for the end of the day, figure out ways to have little snacks, little bits of money that come in regularly. Now, I think for me, what was a challenge, if I got paid $10,000 to do a job, making $5 on a poster or making $20 on a poster uh, just seemed so insignificant. it, It was hard for me to even wrap my head around why I would do that. Like, would I rather get a $10,000 check or a $20 check? But what I realized was that the $20 poster was like the granola bar that you take to work. So that in between breakfast and lunch, 
you eased off the hunger pains a little bit. That way, by the time it's lunch, you don't go crazy because you're out of control because you're desperate for food. It's that same way about managing – is this making any sense? I don't know. But it's, it's, it's how – it makes sense to me. So the way that you get there – so instead of just shooting for these giant jobs and, and waiting and feasting on these jobs, figure out ways to up your cash flow. Figure out ways to make a to just have money always trickling in. So one of the ways you can do that is to have products, is to have uh, to search out small jobs that come in regularly, and um, not to blow off little jobs, especially if they're quick. Um, another way of doing it that's been really helpful for me is uh, early on. I did some design work where I had – I figured out a few relationships locally where I could do design work for them on a retainer. So I knew they were going to pay me $400 a month, which isn't a massive number, but it, it, was a, it was cash flow that I could guarantee that came in on a regular basis and that massively helped my cash flow problem. And so for those of you that work at a design form – firm or have, it may be not the worst idea when you leave or if you've already left to start uh, doing some work on a regular basis with them. And maybe it doesn't have to be a day a week, but it's just a certain amount of kind of job. Say you, you know, you'll design three logos for them for a month for, you know, X amount of dollars. I think that is a great way of having regular cash flow. And don't ignore these littler chunks. Don't ignore those. That's actually super important. You know, my wife, she sells uh, on Etsy. She sells animal ear headbands. And she's actually, she make, she even when she's open full time, she ends up having to shut her shop because she can't keep up with the demand. She makes these really nice, uh, high quality felt animal ear headbands and she actually did embroidery in college in England and so she's just really excellent at it. You can go check it out at the the Thread House uh, go search the Thread House on Etsy. She's not open right now but you can still see some of her sales and stuff. So she does these amazing animal ear headbands and I think early on it was hard for me to understand like okay, she's selling these for $8, $10, $15 a headband and I'm, you know, I'm Making bigger chunks but way less often, and it was actually her business that sorted out our financial issues. Even if it wasn't making as much uh, yearly as what I was doing, uh, and she spent a lot of less time because she's always wanted to focus on the kids. But she was making less money yearly. But it was that it was those little mu- little amounts trickling in every day or every week that actually solved the cash flow problem and when your cash is good your business is good and that's something that i think is your biggest thing if you don't have that sorted out that's the first thing on priorities because not having good cash flow is the business killer all right number 2 get local okay when I moved back to Columbus, Indiana, we, we lived in England for five years. I went to college over there. Um, and when we moved back to America, our idea was we will move back to where I'm from, to where my family is. 
We'll get, you know, kind of regroup because the move from England to America is a big move. We'll regroup when we're ready and we'll, we'll find where we ultimately want to move to. And that was Columbus, Ohio. Um, that's where we live now. But so we moved back to Columbus, Indiana, which is a great place. It's got amazing, interesting heritage with uh, all kinds of interesting design and illustration history, even though it's a really small place. And, um, you know, for the first couple years while we're back, you know, that's when we were struggling the most. I, uh, I didn't think to even get connected in an art, uh, art related way into the town because it's a small town, you know, it wasn't even a city. Um, I never thought about doing that. I never thought about it because I just thought, well, you know, I'm going after these big jobs, uh, you know, so that we can make the money we need to make. And, you know, I just thought the type of work I do, it's illustration. There's not any need for that in the town. There's no, you know, magazines or advertising agencies. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to focus on doing that. About two years in, I started to get uh, more involved locally on committees for uh, the arts-related organizations. I started going to all the art events, mainly just to make friends and, and, and contribute whatever contribute, uh, co- contributions I could do uh, as an artist. And so I started to get invested in the community. I started to make connections. And even in that small town, I ended up making about 30% of my income locally. Way more than I ever would have dreamed possible. Way more opportunities. Opportunities for murals, opportunities for some design-related work, opportunities for some animation things. There was so many more things. There's so much more. Don't assume that you have a, a whole vision of what's available out there. I think one of the best things that you can do to help your cash flow to help your ultimate bottom line over the year is to get involved face-to-face locally no matter where you live. There's so much work and so much value to be had from that face-to-face interaction. And you can contribute, you can give back, and you can also take. You can also uh, be rewarded for having that interaction. And I think there is so much value to be had. And it's so much easier to get value when you've making those face-to-face interactions. And so no matter where you live, if I could make 30% of my income in Columbus, Indiana, I can almost guarantee that wherever you are, by getting involved, you can you can uh, make a better income and and get some real value out of your local face-to-face interactions. And I really believe that. You know, there's a famous story about a traveler who goes in search for treasure, and he travels halfway across the world to do so. And he realizes that there was treasure right in his backyard. That's where it was the whole time. And I almost feel like so many commercial artists go out there, they're searching on the internet, they're making those connections, they're trying so hard to get their work out there into the global perspective, and they ignore the treasure in the backyard. I can almost guarantee that there is plenty of untapped potential just a few blocks away from where you live. And I, I really do believe that. I think it's really important, even just for your sanity. You know, I don't want it to be 
I don't want to come across like getting involved locally is all about money because it's definitely not the case. I think having those face-to-face interactions is a giant deal just for your sanity as much as it is for your bottom line. All right. Number three, specialize globally, generalize locally. Another way to kind of expand your uh, finances as a commercial artist, a way of looking at how to approach your career. Okay, the way I think of it is this. Let's do the sports analogy. I don't know anything about sports, but I think that helps me to make these stupid analogies. Here's how I kind of look at it. When you're in high school and you're a good athlete, so if you're, you're wanting to be a commercial artist, I'm assuming that you have some interest, taste, skills, or talents in art to some degree. Um, and in the same way that if, you're, if you lean towards being athletic and you're more athletic than the average Joe, then in high school, you're going to be likely to be able to play every sport and be on every team. You could do track, uh, basketball, and football. You could do, you could do uh, baseball, all of them. You can do them all, and you can start on every team. And in the same way, locally, out of that smaller pool of people, you're more likely to be towards the top end of the talent. And so when it comes to that, when, it, when the competition isn't, fan, isn't, isn't really steep, it means that you can actually generalize. You can be the jack of many trades and actually be successful. So locally in the past, what I've done, I'm, I'm not really doing that right now because I'm doing a lot more illustration. I'm, doing, I'm increasing my amount of my most highest contribution work um, every year. But what I used to do was really helpful. I did more design, more practical design stuff early on in my career. And I'm not the most amazing uh, logo designer in the world. That is for sure. But on a smaller scale, on a local scale where the competition is smaller, I was one of the best locally. And so I got to do a lot of local jobs like that. And for And so when it comes to local, you can have a general portfolio. What I tell my students is if you're going to go around looking for work locally, it's okay if your portfolio is more general. Now, online, the competition is global. And I think it's important to get laser focus when you're competing online for business. I think it's important to be constantly in that search for what is the thing that I do better, that I could do better than anyone in the world. And that can be very, very, very uh, tight. Like I feel like, like I've said before, I think I could maybe be the Michael Jordan of taking simple shapes and talking about big, fluffy, uh, ethereal, spiritual uh, philosophical things with simple shapes. That's kind of, that's what I want to do. I want to be the Michael Jordan of that. And I, I think maybe I, maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's some people out there that are pretty good at it, but I think maybe I could be the Michael Jordan of that. I'm actually in the running for that. That's in my, in my mind. When it comes to online, when it comes to big market, you've got to specialize to a crazy degree. However, it's hard 
to develop that business. It's going to take time and energy to develop that skill, to promote that work, and to be able to live on that income full time. And like I said, I'm getting closer and closer to that. But early on, while I'm still trying to develop that, while I'm still wanting to pour time into that global competition, I have to make ends meet. And so I did more general work locally because the smaller the competition, the more general uh, your work can be, the more general the focus. But the steeper the competition, the more you have to have that laser focus on, I'm really, really, really good at this. So that's my, that's my number three. Specialize globally, generalize locally. Number four. Double it. This is my spammy marketer, uh, <laughs> spammy snake oil salesman marketing thing. Double it. Take whatever you take. Your this is uh, uh, when I think about the office. Andy Bernard was trying to put on a little seminar to get potential clients to sell paper to, but he said it was like a small business uh, seminar, and all of the people like Jim and. Uh, I don't, I don't, Michael and Stanley and Phyllis, they all dropped out and they wouldn't do the seminar because they didn't think it was going to work. And so he had to go to the B team. And so he got Kevin from accounting and Kevin goes in there and he plays black Sabbath and he does it like runs around the room. It's one of my favorite parts. And he's like really out of breath. And he says, take, all right, close your eyes and think about your biggest dream now double it and i think of that's what this point is is whatever your biggest dream is double it but okay maybe not this is what i'm trying to say is that early on when i was thinking about a, uh, an ideal salary i was always thinking about what was the bare minimum that i felt like i could survive on as an income as an illustrator, if I could just earn X amount of dollars, and, and to be honest, it was something like 30 grand a year or something like that. And I thought if I could just earn 30 grand a year, then we would be able to pay our bills and we would be, we would be able to survive. You know, scientifically, it's proven that humans underestimate the amount of time it's going to take to do any given task. For instance, uh, a few months ago, you know, we recently bought a house and I love this house. I'm, you know, I, I, it's, it looks like uh, the house from my drawings. It looks really like a little simple, kind of like, just like if you think of the most basic symbol of a house, that's what it looks like. And I really like that for that. It's a Cape Cod and we have this nice deck out in the back and, um, but it hasn't been taken care of properly. It's not doing too bad, but it, you know, they haven't refinished it recently. And so I had to refinish it last summer. And I hate to do these types of jobs. I don't know why. I just don't like them. They, I, I don't like fix-it jobs and, and doing up stuff. I just, it's just not my thing. But it had to be done. And so I got some, I got some deck paint, and we we're going to paint it a nice gray and I thought, I'll be able to do this in about a day. 
And it took me three full days of being super diligent. And, uh, you know, I think when you think of these fix-it jobs, you always think, oh, I'll do it in like three hours, and it takes you nine hours. Uh, you know, I feel like it's the same way about money. You think, all right, you look at the bills, and then you look at, you know, how much you'd need to pay, how much you need to earn to pay the bills, but you don't account for the fact that your car is going to break down. You don't account for the fact that, you know, how much it costs to just go out to eat once in a while or go to the movies or all this stuff. It's going to take so much more money than you think. And this is not supposed to be, it's going to take way more money than you think it is. So, you know, be depressed because you're not even close. It's not like that at all. But I feel like whatever that bare minimum number is, at least double it. And, and you know what? When you get there, you might figure out that even that wasn't enough to really sur- uh, not just survive but thrive as an artist and as, as a human. You know, Early on in your career, you can be – it's easier to be in kind of like student mode and, and get by on less. But eventually there's going to come a time when you're going to want to have a, a real life. And have a real career. And so I think whatever that goal is that you think this is kind of what – and maybe you're an established artist. I know a lot of established artists listen to this. And maybe this isn't about doubling the amount of money that you think you need or you need to double your salary or whatever. But it is – it can be about other goals and I, it can be about generally looking at your career and not thinking small. You know, whatever, uh, just as a side note, if it's not your, if you don't need to double your salary, a way that you need to maybe expand your mind in your goals. Jim Kudal talks about, he's a head of Kudal Partners, one of the co-owners of Field Notes. He said that when it comes to making your goals, setting your five-year goals, it's really important to expand what you think you can achieve and expand your goals to not be exciting for the person you are now, but to be exciting for the person you're going to be in five years. You know, there have been times when I've shot too small, and by the time I reached it, you know, two years later, it didn't feel that significant anymore. And it wasn't exciting. But the times when I shoot for big, bigger than I can, you know, even imagine, the times that I get to those things, it's so much more satisfying. So if it's not your salary... It might just be your general goals, but I think I do think it's hard to expand your perception, right? Like you're limited on how far you can see in advance. There's so many things that I'm doing now that if you would have told me I was going to do them in five years, I would have I wouldn't even imagine being able to do those things. And so I think when you look out into the future, you shouldn't base it on everything you can see now. Base it on things that are unseen. Plan to to grow in ways that you can't even understand how you're going to grow. I think that's the best goals. You know, it reminds me of uh, this story that I heard about Henry Ford. He was talking about how they, I I don't know anything about engines, but I think it was like an eight cylinder engine. Don't, don't quote me on that, but I think it was like an eight cylinder engine. And he was telling his engineers, I want an eight cylinder engine. And they were like, that is impossible with all the technology we have right now. That's impossible. And he says, we'll make up the technology. 
I don't want you to stop until you have it. And they said, it's impossible. He said, okay, just do it anyway. And so they worked and they worked for six months or something. And he came back and he said, did you do it? And they said, no, it's impossible. He's like, we developed this technology. We developed this thing, but we still can't do it. And he's like, all right, this is your job. Keep going until you do it. And if you don't ever do it, just never stop doing it. And eventually he had that eight cylinder engine. And in that same way, when you're setting your financial goals or you're setting your artistic goals, you don't have to understand how it's going to happen. But if you have the vision for it and you set your sale that way, when time comes that you need to learn a new skill or develop a new practice or come or overcome an obstacle that you didn't foresee, then it's time to practically figure it out. But I think it's more important to grow your vision now beyond what you can see. And that includes your salary and your finances because just like painting that deck, it's going to take more than you think. All right. Number five. This is no shame. No shame. If you struggle with money, if you struggle with spending money, earning money, if you struggle with Anything to do with this game of art and business, shame is never the answer. You know, early on when I would struggle, I would beat myself up because I came from a family that were all business, finance, accounting minded. And money was easy for them, the easiest thing in the world. And they didn't understand you know, my mom wasn't in the picture, and she was the artsy one. She's the one that where I got my money skills from, if you know what I mean. Uh, and she wasn't in the picture. And she, because she wasn't in the picture, it, I didn't have any of that security of some people struggle with this. So for some people, it's harder than other people. And so I had, I had a lot of – early on in my career, I felt like I had a lot of shame attached to the fact that the money thing wasn't super easy for me to figure out, and it took me longer than it took uh, my siblings or, or my parents. And, um, but here's the thing, that shame is a defeated attitude. You know, I recently heard this idea of hope is the seed of success, and it sounds really weird and, you know, woo-woo, spacey, you know, whatever, but it's actually true, is that, you know, the student – that thinks he has a chance of passing the test will study. And if he doesn't think he has a chance at all, he doesn't study. He doesn't even study. And so I think that shame actually causes you to do worse work. It causes you to work at it hard. If you think I'm never going to get the money thing, I'm never going to be able to survive as an artist. I'll never be able to thrive uh, financially as an artist. You won't even try, right? And so shame actually keeps you from trying. But if you have hope and confidence that one way or another you're going to figure this out, you're so much closer to the path to success. And I really do believe that. And I think that goes for any area. It goes for the area of developing your skills. If you look at the editorial artists in the market and you want to be an editorial illustrator and you look at what they do and you think, I'll never do that. 
I'll never be that good. Oh, I suck. I just suck at drawing this or doing that or whatever. It's that shame attitude that's actually – you can't shame yourself into success. And I think sometimes we think if we just beat ourselves up enough, we'll get there. And I just don't think that's the case. And I realize this is getting very close to uh, Oprah. But I do believe – I think these are the issues that actually keep us – from our highest contributions as artists. It keeps us, it's these personal deep-rooted issues that keep us from doing our best work. And I think if you don't believe and have hope and confidence and you shame yourself about never adding up, you're you're going further and further away from the path to success as a commercial artist. Okay. Number six. Drop the starving artist act. Destroy this false narrative that says the best artists are the starving artists. First of all, let's just make this uh, let's just make this clear. We're not talking about fine art. This podcast isn't about fine art. I don't know about fine art. Maybe you do need to be living on the street to do good fine art. I don't know. I don't know anything about fine art. But what I see. I'm talking about developing a craft, and if you're going to be successful commercially, you have to learn how to be really good at developing great creative work on command. And if you're going to do it on command, it's got to be a craft. And what I mean by that is you've got to be able to know how to do it. You can't, it's not good enough just to be able to perform. You've got to know how you perform. Because you have to know how to get into that place. And I love John Cleese, uh, the Monty Python guy who talks about how to be creative. What are the circumstances? When does creativity happen? And so one of the things he talks about is your most creative place is in play. And I will tell you, when you have financial issues, you're not going to start playing. That's not when you're going to feel your most playful. I'll tell you that. You're going to feel your most playful when you're secure and confident enough to take time. When you ha- and when you have time. If you have financial issues, you don't have time. And in order to play, you have to have big chunks of time where you are free emotionally and mentally to put yourself onto the page. Now, I think about, in psychology, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now, I don't actually subscribe to this idea, but the idea is that unless you have your basic needs met, you're not going to start thinking about the higher things in life like spirituality and art and education and all that. And if you don't have something to eat and you don't have a roof over your head, you're not thinking about those things. Now, I don't necessarily think that's true, but I do think there's some truth to it. And when, in some ways, I think about it like this. If you're thinking about where your next meal is or you're thinking about how you're going to keep a roof over your head or you're thinking about paying off medical bills all the time, if you're in a crippling place financially, you're going to have a hard time worrying about the higher level issues of expressing yourself. And I think it's by having these things met – that we do our best work. Lisa Congdon wrote the book Art Inc. She's an illustrator and artist. And uh, one of the things I heard her talk about in reference to this book was we've got to let go of this starving artist thing 
because she believes, and I completely agree, that our best work is found in being a secure, holistically happy person, someone who has a great foundation of values, who has a great foundation of, um, you know, friends and family. And, and, and I think that money is a part of that. I think if you don't, if you can, if you have a future where you can figure out how to meet the demands of money, yeah, sometimes you're going to have big bills, sometimes that you, that you can't pay and you have to, you know, go on a payment plan or whatever. Yeah, sometimes that happens and that's okay. And that doesn't mean that you can't be creative. But if you have no hope, if you've, if you've gotten yourself into such a mess financially, it is going to be so incredibly difficult to get into that open creative mode and to do your highest contribution work. And so I think... It's so important for us to drop this idea of this struggling, starving artist. And I actually want to kill it even more so because I don't want other people in the world to think that we should have to suffer to be creative people. And you know why? Not because I think we're entitled to getting paid to do creative work. Because I believe that the world is actually infinitely more uh, – infinitely better – for having people, having the creative people pay their highest contribution into the world. And that's actually what makes life worth living. You know, uh, I don't know the exact quote. I never do. But Winston Churchill said something like this. They came to him um, during the war and they said, we, you know, we're, we're struggling financially and we need to cut the arts programs. And he said, you can't do that because what's the point in fighting this war if we lose what's worth fighting for. And I, I agree with that so much. I think we can't – the other reason we need to stop perpetuating the starving artist thing is because it gives other people, the people that have the money to pay us for our work, it gives them the power. It gives them the perception that we should be starving, that we shouldn't get paid, that we shouldn't thrive as people because we chose to do creative work. And I think we've got to let that go. We've got to quit thinking small-mindedly financially. Number seven and my last one is acknowledge demand. Okay. I've heard a lot of people talk about this. Scott Belsky talks about it on 99U. If you look up Scott Belsky 99U uh, Sweet Spot, you're going to find an article. He's the uh, creator of Behance and 99U, and he wrote an article about this, and he's not the person who invented it. It's all over the place. But the idea is your sweet spot consists of your passion, your skill, and a demand in the market. So a, a market where there's money that will be paid for this type of work. And those where those three things intersect – and actually, I'd throw another one in there, but that's for a different time. Uh, where those three things intersect, that's where your sweet spot is. Now, I think about – I think we all know that if we – if our first concern is where's the most money in the market – that's where the tail is wagging the dog instead of vice versa. I don't think that when it comes to setting your goals and, and going out there in the market, I don't think the number one thing you need to think about is money. I do think, though, 
that on the list of things you think about, it needs to be on there. I think sometimes, you know, I always say this, that I think wisdom is – the key to wisdom is nuance and the, and the lack of nuance is the lack of wisdom. And I think because we know that the first thing we think about when it comes to making art, uh, we know we shouldn't be led by money first. And because of that, I think it causes us to think, don't think about money. Just think about your talent and what you love. I don't think that's true, actually. I think when it comes to the hierarchy, I think you need to first and foremost think about what are you most excited about doing. Then the next lens is what are you really, really good at? And then the next lens is where is there money to be made? It's a combination of all three, and I think you need to go in that order. But I think it, you, have, you can't just say, what are my best skills and what am I passionate about? You do need to put money into the equation, and how do you do that? I think you do that by looking out into the areas that you want to possibly work where your passion and interests lie and your, and your uh, skills. Look out at all of the people that do that that are much further ahead of you. And if there's a lot of people doing that and the work seems plentiful in those areas, then search out towards that area. But if you want to do – so for instance, right, I think people that do kids market work uh, in a graphic way – that there's a lot of opportunities there, and there's lots of different niches within that, right? And I think you should try to bury yourself deeper into a, a specific part. But I think when it comes to like simple kids' work, that's a pretty big market. It's a competitive market, but it's a pretty big market. Now, on the other side, the people – if you look at like the artists that make graphic work that can be successful by focusing on gallery work – like work for the gallery, that market is very, very tiny. I can count on my hand the amount of people that are financially successful by pursuing full-time gallery work as graphic artists. That's my point. That's the lens that you put. I, want, I know I want to do graphic art. I know I lo- that's the kind of the graphic illustration where it's like um, slick graphics meet, meets picture making. I know I want to do that. For sure, it's what I think I'm good at. But I looked out throughout the the, and I, I tried to find where's a real market. And I think there's lots of people. You know, there are people that work outside of markets. They're the exception to the rule. Now you can't plan on being an exception. We've talked about that before. You can't plan on winning the lottery, right? You can't. That's not a plan. That's not a financial plan because you can't plan on being the exception. However. You can make a good plan to go out into a market that is a, that's an actual established market. And then along the way, if you happen to be the exception to the rule, great. But you can't plan on that. And so I do think it's, it's in the matrix of things you need to think about that money is not number one. It is in the list. It is a concern. And it, and it should influence the direction that you take. Heading towards a market that has Ample opportunity is really important to make a living as an artist. That's pretty much all I've got this week. 
I'm so passionate about this subject. Why? I'll tell you why. Because I hate working jobs that aren't creative. You know, it, it, it just kills my soul to do that. I, I love making money doing creative work, and it's hard. It's not an easy thing. But I've managed to grow every year, and I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. I'm so thankful uh, that I get to make my living making art. And because of out of that gratitude, that's why I make this podcast, because I want to help other people who are in the same boat, who are desperate to make a living doing what they love in creativity. And, I, and there's not a subject that's probably closer to my heart than money, because money is the key. Can you, if you can make enough money, then you can have enough time to make your work. And, and so I'm, I'm so passionate about this. I'm really happy to have shared it with you. I want to just say real quick, thank you for uh, the latest reviews on iTunes. Uh, the past couple have been so sincere and lovely, and I, and I just – it meant a lot to me. It's really awesome. Thank you um, for those of you who love the show and take the time to do that. It means a lot, not just to me, but it's also – how iTunes ranks shows and it's how they promote the shows that have the most reviews. And so that helps, you know, I've been on the new and noteworthy section on iTunes before and that's helped, uh, grow the listener base. And so if this is helping you, you know, out of the goodness of your heart, you want it to help other people and reach other people. And so, you know, thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all those people this week, uh, who have shared this on Twitter who have shared it on Instagram. There's been a bunch of you. A bunch of you have emailed me of different ways that this has been, meant something to you. And that makes it so much easier to continue to come back to this stupid microphone and record myself for an hour on, on these thoughts on commercial art. It makes it so much more exciting to do that when you guys um, are being so encouraging. And so thank you so much. I wouldn't be able to do this without all that. Um, and I thank you just for, I don't know, all the support and the growth and listeners and, and, and all the encouragement uh, it means so much. And I'm glad that my struggles can be joy for you. Uh, and um, yeah, so thank you. And remember, you can listen to this on illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. You can also listen to it on my site, andy-j-miller.com slash podcast. You can get a creative pep talk poster there uh, that says, Do Not Be Afraid, inspired by the Do Not Be Afraid episode. Um, and you know what? I've got a bunch of stuff in the in the works. I've got um, some educational ideas online, kind of education pursuits in the future. Uh, some kind of really, some like smaller level ones, like Skillshare type things. But I also have some deeper level educational experiences that have been on my mind where I take a small group and we go through some real strategic ideas and feedback. And that one will be, that one will cost more money, um, but it'll also be really exclusive and it'll be um, me doing what I do best and giving you all the stuff that I know. And so if you're interested in that, let me know. Um, it's not going to be cheap, uh, but I think it's going to be worthwhile. I'm kind of planning that. I've also got a digital book in my back pocket that I've been working on. And so, you know, I'm keeping busy. And at the same time, I'm going to keep bringing you this uh, pep every week. And um, I hope you enjoy it. 
Thanks for the support. And until next week, I'll try to get you another smaller peppy talk early next week. Uh, But until then, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up and making great work. See you later.